Every day, 130 Americans die from opioid overdose. Some of us are in invisible prisons today, even as we try to appear free. Sales of alcoholic beverages are up 55% compared to a year ago. I believe God's going to set you free. Welcome, friends, to another episode here on the Recovering Reality Podcast. We have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Will Kitchen. Will, legend. how are you today? The legend. It's capital L. <laughs> capital L. The. Not just a legend. Yeah. The. Legend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How are you today, man? Good, man. Good. Happy to be here hanging out with you, talking about life, Jesus, whatever. Yeah, we'll figure out what we talk about. Yeah, man. I'm how are you? Happy to have you on. I'm uh, glad you jumped on, man. So, uh, Will, Will's a friend of mine that you moved here to Florida, what, about a, about a year ago? Yeah, it's uh, right about a year and a half. Yeah. Also, we probably moved. When did you move here? September 2020. Okay. We came in June 2020. Yeah. Okay. So about the same amount of time. Yeah. And you moved here from New York, right? Yeah, man. Yep. Brooklyn. You yep. born and raised in New York? No, 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 no. I was born born in Missouri, but spent oh, okay. spent um, uh, first moved to New York in 2006. So mm-hmm. and lived lived basically in Brooklyn or the city uh, since 2008. So okay, yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure I got all this right, man. But correct me if I'm wrong. You were the director of a Teen Challenge in New York, correct? Um, yeah, when I, when I first came, uh, well, I did an internship in 06 for a year. And then I was, uh, became, uh, when I went to Brooklyn, um, I was the, the program director there in Brooklyn for about five years. Uh, then we took a position at a church for three years and then came back to Brooklyn. And I was, uh, at that point they had a different director, a, a good friend of mine, and I was technically the, the campus pastor um and uh but really like a, an assistant in many ways to uh to the director and um uh we were there for another three three and a half years and then uh we got the call to come down here they were looking for a director and and uh, we just felt like packing up and moving everything and the entire family and changing our whole entire life during a pandemic was a good idea <laughs> well, the free state of florida is not a bad destination no, man, it's been awesome. We, we really love it down here. Our family has uh, definitely found a home. It's been, it's been good for us. Yeah, man, us yeah. too. That's awesome. And now you are the, I don't know if director is the right title. Director, I suppose, is. Yeah, on, on my business uh, card. El, El Jefe? Yeah, business card says executive director, but I'm executive. I'm, uh, yeah. Does it say in parentheses not, next to it? The legend, too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, the legendary executive director. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what that means. Uh, but yeah, I get to have the op- awesome opportunity to lead this this place, this ministry. Um, and yeah, it's good, man. We've got a great team, great campus, uh, great organization. Yeah, I would agree. I would attest to that. So for, for, our, uh, for my, my listeners... Um, the last podcast that I posted, I recorded speaking at mm. Fort Myers Teen Challenge there. That was a, was a week and a half ago or something. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's awesome, man. What's going on over there? God is definitely transforming people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. I would agree. I would agree. We should dive into some of that, man. 
your life, your life has been transformed. Yeah, yeah. As my has mine. Has. People, my listeners are tired of hearing about <laughs> hear about my life all the time. I want to hear about yours, man. <laughs> yeah, well, that's never going to stop. You know, your your life will continue to be woven in. But um, yeah, man, I experienced some uh, you know some life transformation for sure. Um, you know, I grew up in in uh, the hard streets of, of rural Missouri, <laughs> and uh, rugged, man, rugged. rugged. I mean, yeah, it doesn't get much uh, much much crazier than that, but. Uh, no, a smaller town, uh, pretty much. And, um, you know, parents divorced when I was really young. And so there was just a lot of craziness at home. Um, you know, even before they divorced, you know, not a hundred percent sure that, you know, uh, how, how great the marriage ever was. I, most of my memories are not good ones. Um, you know, uh, fights at home or, um, you know, drinking by the river, <laughs> you know, we kind of came from that more country, uh, have a bonfire by the river, drinking, you know, bush beer and bud lights and, uh, tractor pools and, um, uh, monster trucks and, uh, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, but yeah, life was, um, it was kind of crazy. I don't think you always know about it at the time, you know, but when I, sit back and tell my yeah, wife's story. It's your normal at the time. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like life. Uh, but I'll tell my, tell my wife, you know, some stories about growing up or things I remember doing. And, and she's always like, oh, I can't believe you're so lucky to be alive. Like, well, it's not that serious. <laughs> you know, I think, I think some of it is just life. People grow up, you know, doing crazy stuff, but, um, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, I got into drugs, um, you know, really in my, in my teens, um, um, I had a lot of, um, you know, identity issues in terms of not really knowing who I was, not really knowing what life was about, uh, super anxious kid, um, always trying to fit in, always trying to make other people happy, always trying to be the chameleon because I, I wanted to just fit in everywhere that I was, um, you know, trying to find some place in this world, you know, like a lot of people do. And, um, so it just inevitably led me to, uh, to the wrong things. You know, I played sports. I loved sports. Uh, that was probably God's saving grace in my life when I was young, because, um, you know, it was, it was the one thing that probably kept me from going off the deep end because I had to stay at least good enough to keep playing, you know? Um, and so, you know, there were even times when I was in school, coaches would come talk to me, you know, I heard you were doing this. I heard you were struggling with this and, and put a, give me that olive branch. But, you know, of course me, I was like, nah, nah, that's no way. That's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, always trying to hide it. And, um, but, uh, you know, but, um, but life, life was pretty crazy. Uh, you know, when I was say this real quick, cause you put it a good way. Cause, um, yeah, good part of my high school was very similar. Sports yeah. is probably what really kept me from going off the deep end, even yeah. though I, I clearly did. Uh, it wasn't good, but it, it, it probably would have been much, much worse yeah. if I hadn't been involved in baseball and football. Yeah. Yeah. There were moments where, you know, things got bad, did some really crazy stuff, but um, <laughs> yeah, if I didn't have that lifeline, uh, if I didn't have that, cause it was like sports provided this opportunity to where, um, you know, I almost had two, two very separate lives going on. You know, I had the life with a lot of my friends who played sports and most of them were fairly decent people. <laughs> I'll put it that way. They came from some of the better 
families and homes and stuff like that, you know. And then I had another group of friends that were, you know, kind of like the pothead groups at, uh, group at school, you know, that that rebelled against everything and uh, didn't really take anything serious, <clears throat> did nothing but party and all that stuff. And so I was constantly bouncing back and forth between the two. Um, and, uh, you know, but I didn't really realize that for a long time, you know, how all of that stuff came about, you know, from deeper issues, um, from when I was a child, you know, I mean, I talked about identity issues, but I mean, from a very young age, I mean, I'm talking young age. I have no idea why. Uh, I just remember, um, even as a kid, as young as I have three boys now, eight, six, and five. And even at their ages, I remember, you know, having, uh, like sexual fantasies, um, you know, things just happened in my life. I lived in a, a very, what's been termed in other conversations I had with people, like a very sexualized uh, childhood, just seeing pornography a lot, um, you know, being in certain environments that weren't uh, healthy for young kids and all of those sorts of things. Um, you know, the divorce of my parents and the way all that went down. Um, and, you know, ultimately we were living in a, uh, a trailer park uh, when I was, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. And, you know, I was addicted to pornography by the age of nine. Um, and it's and, even before your brain has a chance to yeah. start, no. let alone be fully developed before that's before yeah, it even no, has a chance. Well, that's why I look at my son now who's eight and I'm like, man, and I look back at where I was at his age and the things that I was already struggling with and wrestling with. Um, and of course, I mean, my, my struggles with that, I mean, got insanely worse, you know, but to even be dealing with that at all as an eight, nine, 10 year old kid is, is, uh, is just crazy. And so, you know, I, I think I'd started developing things, you know, even from a brain perspective, spiritually, emotionally, from a very young age that made it very easy to fall into issues with drugs as well when I got to that place, obviously as a kid, I knew about drugs, you know, um, that, but you know, you're not around them, you know, you're not, you're not seeing those things. I mean, I grew up around alcohol, um, you know, smoking cigarettes, stuff like that. And, um, you know, and there was times as a kid where, you know, you, you try something just because you find a half drinking can of beer or something and your parents are drinking it and you know you, you sneak a sip but it was like holy what the crap am I drinking this is terrible you know <laughs> but um but you know then it turned into trying to fit in and I'm um you know my my mom worked in a bar so when I went with her uh on visits you know I'd be hanging out in the bar shooting pool with cowboys and um you know leaving with some of the the kids of that would live near there to go ride four wheelers out in the field. And, and then we, you know, would drink out there um, and all that sort of stuff. And then it got into high school and it just got progressively worse. And I was always, you know, pretty smart, good at, good at school, but, you know, just kept tapering off, taper off to where my grades were just barely enough to graduate. Um, you know, I had opportunities to play basketball in college, get a scholarship, um, you know, and I, I messed all that up, ruined all that. Um, you know, it just got to where it was, it was just through high school. It just became a regular thing. I mean, just drinking constantly uh, on the weekends. I always have, you know, something left and, and I'd be drinking through the week, smoking weed all the time, um, doing harder drugs when I could. Uh, and then, you know, my junior year heading into senior year and then a couple years thereafter, uh, it was just, 
you know, full on do anything, everything I could find as often as possible, you know, selling drugs, um, just the whole thing. Uh, you know, you just, it gets you in, you know, once you get in, you just find yourself in that spot. Um, and, um, got into a, a drunk driving accident with a friend. I was in the passenger seat, but we were luck lucky to get out. Um, you know, the car flipped over in the ditch, uh, was completely smashed in, you know, from the top side. In fact, I went to the, the, there was a dealership that they towed it to a Toyota dealership. It was a little, um, Toyota, uh, or Honda prelude, sorry, it was Honda dealership. And, uh, those, you know, mid nineties, Honda preludes, those were like the car to have back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh, and we were standing there, went back and looked at it and some guy comes walking back there and it's like, wow, man, I wonder what happened here. It's like, somebody had to die in this accident. And I was like, well, actually they didn't, you know, I was, I was sitting right there and he couldn't believe that, that I could have been sitting in that seat. And, uh, but thankfully got out. Um, you know, yeah, it's funny. I can, I can look back to and just see multiple different times where it's like, no, I should not have lived through that. There was God, God had his hand on my life long before I wanted anything to do with him or could acknowledge it. There's just yeah. many times similar things where I'm like, I, I, I don't have an explanation, a legitimate yeah. explanation as to why I lived through that and multiple different things. Only God, God was looking out for me long, long before I acknowledged it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, not just that. I mean, <clears throat> even times where I either should have been arrested, but wasn't or, you know, things could have gone a certain way, but didn't. I mean, there's yeah, there's an endless amount of stories about all of that. And um, uh, but even I even I, I when I did, I got arrested for drug possession, um, had a uh, uh, an intent to sell low level felony uh, potential. Um, and what were you slanging, Will? Oh, the hard stuff, bro. <laughs> no, just weed. Um, <laughs> but um, no, I had, uh, I didn't have anything in my pocket. That was the frustrating thing I had because my boy, buddies that I, I lived with, we would always hang on to the shake the little bit at the bottom of the bag. Uh, and then we would bring it home and put it in like a bigger bag. So that way, if there was ever a time we didn't have anything, we could just dig through it, you know, and always have like a supply or something. Um, or if you needed to cut, you know, use it as some extra weight in the bottom of the bag that you're selling. You could throw that stuff you're in there. You're giving people tips. Man. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, uh, so all I had, I, I got to the end of the bag and I had just a little bit in the corner. I was like, oh, I'm just going to put that in my pocket. So I had that in my pocket and my buddy of mine had, he was actually selling and he had, um, I don't even remember how it was, but he had had some broken up into baggies that he was selling. And when the cops pulled us over, he shoved it under his seat. He was in the front passenger seat. I was in the back. Um, and then I guess because I had it in my pocket and I had a pipe in my pocket, uh, they just assumed, or they just attached, you know, the, the, the rest of it onto me. Um, and, uh, but for some reason, I have no idea when I got to the date of my court date, um, you know, I was, my lawyer went up and got the docket sheet. We were getting ready to see the judge and the intent to sell had been dropped. Um, hmm. I got no explanation as to why no, no reason. She was just as surprised as I was. She didn't know that was going to happen. Nobody told her it was just not on the sheet. So, Grace. uh, yeah, well now, yeah, you, you look back and you realize, um, you know, and there's people that got in it a lot worse than me. There's people that did a lot worse. Um, but at the same time, my life was no less lost. You know, my life was no less empty. My life was no less, um, uh, meaningless, you know, and going nowhere. I had no ambition, no desire, 
everybody in my family got divorced. Uh, every, you know, nobody really lived successful lives, going to college, doing all that sort of stuff. And so <clears throat> that was just my dream, you know, my plans for my life, just live, you know. And that's, uh, that's the thing is like when you, when you're in it, so it was just normal for you. I mean, yeah. it wasn't in my household, but it very quickly just became my life. Yeah. It's not as if I was living some other life and then got pulled into it. I mean, to a certain extent, but I was so young that I didn't even yeah. know. It just became so normal so fast. It was just the way life is. I didn't even, yeah. I, and when you're caught in the middle of it, it's so hard to see like how bad it's really gotten yeah. or, or what it is that's really going on, how it's affecting your future. It just becomes so blind to that. So yeah. just straight blinders blurry blinders on that stop you from even being able to see it man most people crazy sad things most people don't make it out of that most people don't go into it with some evil intent most people get sucked into it to fit in yeah it was the yeah. norm in their household where they wanted to fit in yeah no absolutely i think sucked into it and most people don't make it out yeah i think that that's probably uh, the 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 biggest reason really when you boil it down you get back to it people are just trying to find their place in the world and they they end up getting in with a group of people that introduce things into their life and they're just willing to do it they're willing to sacrifice they're kind of hungry for whatever it is that they feel like they're going to get and so they're willing to smoke something snort something shoot something drink something whatever the case is join a um, gang whatever yeah join is. a gang yeah and it just and it also makes it more comfortable because you're you're entering into relationships that you you have not built the um, the emotional ability for, or, um, you don't have the, the, the resiliency or the internal resources to actually maintain. And it's, it's uncomfortable. You know, you, you don't, uh, you know, you're, so you're trying to find something that you're actually also fighting against. You're trying to find affection. You're trying to find your place in the world. You're trying to fit in with people, but at the same time, you don't feel comfortable with them. You you're insecure and all those sorts of things. And so then the addition of, of the drugs and, or whatever else helps to uncover, you know, to cover up all that stuff as well. Um, and that was for me, because even after my parents divorced, you know, my dad, we didn't really go to church much when I was a kid, except for like on Easter. But when my parents divorced, you know, he was trying to get his life together and trying to find some stability. And, you know, we started going to church and, and I got a little bit involved. And to be honest with you, there were seeds planted there in my younger life that I, I believe are what eventually grew later when God kind of got a hold of my life. You know, it was some of those times, even though I didn't fully understand it all, but, you know, when I was 10, you know, times when I was 12 or 13 before things got crazy, you know, there's like a four or five year window there where, um, you know, it was some of those seeds planted when, when we were going to church. Um, but that was it. You know, I was, it was constantly for me, it was like bouncing back and forth, like it just completely unstable, um, never able to commit to anything. And then um, until God finally, you know, I guess he said enough, you know, and uh, he stepped into my life and, and, um, you know, started this whole process of getting where I am today, I guess, you know. Yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about how that started, because I know enough about your story to know that you, even going through all of that, you landed in Bible college, right? Yeah. Yeah. But there was still some bumps in the road. Yeah. In Bible college. Yeah. What did that, 
the sort of rock bottom we talk about stepping into transformation season look like for you? Yeah. So for me, I, yeah, I'd been out of high school, you know, a couple of years, um, wasn't going anywhere. Couldn't, couldn't, I, I had enrolled in college, but never went, um, you know, working, you know, just jobs, whatever I could work, mostly construction, restaurant jobs and stuff like that. To, <laughs> Restaurants. Know, yeah. Worked so, in those for years. Man. <laughs> yeah. Cash Tons in of- hand. Tons, yeah, tons of drugs and and opportunity yeah. for when you were restaurants or in construction. But um, and then um, uh, you know, like I said, I got in the drunk driving accident. I got I get arrested a couple of times. Um, not you know, ended up being nothing major, but it was still you know going through the the system, going through all the process, going through the process. Um, and uh, and then I was you know started doing a lot more pills. Um you know, amongst other things, but that kind of become started becoming more prevalent. And then I was introduced to heroin. Um, and that scared me because uh, my dad had a friend when I was younger and I just, for some reason, it always stuck with me. And it was probably another one of those God things. Like he imprinted it on my, my mind um, who died from, from heroin. And I just always associated like heroin with death. And it was like, I just knew that once I got to that place, it was like over you know, that was just in my mind. It was like, well, once you get here, like you've crossed the line and and you're going to die. And so it scared me. Sad, but true association. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it scared me to be honest with you. Um, and, um, and I was like, and for the first time it started, you know, making me sort of just question life and just in general, like, like, you know, am I, am I ever going to be anything different? But the answer to that question was always no. Like I just, I didn't believe in myself. I didn't believe there was any way out. I didn't see anything around me that there was no glimmer of hope. But, uh, one day I just woke up and, um, um, my ritual every morning was, was just to wake up, get high, you know, smoke weed, whatever the case was. And, um, I had a little, you know, side stand, side desk, thing, uh, next to my bed and there was a little drawer and I, you know, open it up. And, uh, so I did, I rolled out of bed, uh, I'm basically on my knees because I'm getting down in this little side table, open it up. I'm getting ready to, 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 uh, to hit a bowl. And I just, for some reason I couldn't, I was just like, what am I doing? Like, I don't, I don't understand. And it was like kind of one of those moments, like in the movies or something where their life flashes before their eyes and they like, you know, like they come alive. And it was that moment for me. Like, I just, I don't know. I just, for some reason, it was almost like I had been um, gone for all this time. But it was like, I was just coming to, you know, and I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I put it, put everything back. And I just had this sense that I needed God. I didn't know what that was, what that looked like. And I just, that's, I just knew that. And that's what I prayed. I just had this made a simple prayer. God, I don't know why, but for some reason, I just feel like I need you. I don't know what that looks like. And I, and I specifically said, uh, I don't even have a Bible. And if I did, I wouldn't even know where to go or what to do with it. But I just, for some reason, I I know that I need you. And, um, in the next day or two days, I went to a Sam's club, which I had no reason to go to Sam's club because, you know, I'm a 20 year old, 20, 21 year old kid with no money and no family. I don't need like five pound jar of mayonnaise <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. But, um, yeah. I just felt like I needed to go there. I just like, I'm going to go, go to Sam's. And so I walk in I make it from the front of the store to the back of the store. And this random weird looking guy comes up to me and says, Hey, I don't know, you know, what, um, what you think about this, but he said, I, you passed by me towards the front of the store 
And I believe that God told me that you're in a difficult season of your life and you need somebody to help walk you through it. Uh, he's like, do you mind if I, I, I just walk and talk with you for, for, for a few minutes? Um, and I just, yeah, I just said, yes. I was like, yeah, I mean, that's really strange. But I, at the back of my mind, I, I remembered I prayed a prayer. And uh, so this guy walked around with me probably half an hour around the store and just, I shared awesome. my story with him. You know, he's talking, listen, just listening. And then at the end of the conversation, he said, he, he just looked at me. He was like, well, he's like, do you have a Bible? And at that moment I was like, dang, I, I just, I did just pray this, <laughs> you know? And so he took, I said, no, he took me over to, of course, in, in Missouri, everywhere you go, there's a Bible section. So uh, he took me over to Sam's or over to the, the section of Sam's where the books are. And they had some Bibles there and he bought me this. Still, still have, have the my, same Bible. Still have it on my desk. Life application, uh, study Bible. Um, uh, he didn't buy you a cheap one. No, that's what I was saying. I'm looking through all of the, uh, you know, the cheap Bibles, the gift Bibles, like 10, $12. And he's like, got no, you no, no, one that's, that's three inches thick there. Man. Yeah. He's like, that's not what you need. He's like, you need something that, that can help you understand it. And, um, and so he took me over, he bought me this. I mean, it had, I think it was like 60 bucks or something at the time. And, um, so he took me out. So he bought me the Bible. He took me outside. Uh, we sat in the car and, um, you know, he wrote a bunch of scriptures in the front of it, um, dated it 12th of July, 2001. Um, and he wrote some scriptures. One of them, cast your, all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Um, What's that wrote, one Peter five, eight, uh, five, yeah. Five, seven, five, seven, um, you know, Romans eight twenty eight. Yeah. I mean, he wrote, there's probably, you know, close to 10 scriptures there. He wrote a, a little letter on there. Um, and then the thing that I always tell people, uh, is like, he did the good Christian thing in that. Uh, but he really showed me Jesus when he committed to meet with me, uh, answer my phone anytime that I, that I called. I mean, literally there's a couple of times I called him two, three o'clock at night. Cause I was just going through it and he answered the phone. And every time he answered the phone, he always said, you know, how can I help you? Wow. Um, and it was, so he met, began to met with me, with me. Uh, man, for about a year, he met with me uh, and he would always just pray with me. He would give me sermons. He would give me books. He would just, we'd just talk and pray with me. Uh, he was Complete a strange, stranger. Yeah. And he was strange, like no, 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 <laughs> no way about it. Like he, he was a different kind of guy, like, you know, and I don't know, uh, you know, but God used him in my life. That's all I know. That's and sick, then, man. Um, That's pretty powerful. Yeah. And then, um, you know, and then at the end of that year, I was enrolling in Bible college because uh, just more circumstances than what we have time to talk about. But the, the bottom line of the story is that God led me to, to Bible college. And I, I didn't really know why I was going there other than I just, that was the door that was opening. And that was really what started my relationship with God was, I'm just, I'm not going to ask a lot of questions. I'm just going to walk through the open door because when I I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to get through this. I don't know how to manage life. Like I haven't done it well at this point. Um, and I know that the track record that I have, the track record that those around me have, if I, if I try to have too much in this, um, it's not going to go well. So I was just, I'm just going to go through. And so God opened the door. So I went there. Um, the first week that I was there, uh, we went to the Friday of that week. It was like the week everybody's coming back on campus and so they're having a big service, Friday night service, kind of a welcome back. And uh, there's somewhere around a thousand people in the school. 
and they're all heading into the chapel. It's busy, you know, shoulder to shoulder, uh, bump into this guy, um, uh, Pastor Bradley, and uh, he's a he's a professor there, and uh, almost like very similar to the other guy, except for the other guy that I met with Troy, uh, short white guy, glasses. Um, Pastor Bradley was short, black guy, glasses. Like it was almost like uh, just it was like the same person almost, but but different. And uh, bump into him and hey, how are you doing? You know, I'm Pastor Bradley, I'm professor. Hey, I'm a new student, blah, blah, blah. You know, just very cordial. Great, great to have you. Glad you're here, kind of a thing. And then, uh, you know, if you enjoy the service, we'll be, hopefully, you'll see you in class or something. So then we go in, sit down, service, come back out, people everywhere, shoulder to shoulder, you know, trying to get through. And he comes and taps me on the shoulder. Well, well, I was trying to find you. He's like, he's like, man, he's like, I don't know. Uh, what is it was going on or what you think of this? He said, but I just couldn't get you off my mind during the service. He said, the Lord just kept impressing on my heart that you're, that you're in a really crucial time right now and you need somebody to walk with you through it. It was almost the same thing that the other guy had said in Sam's. And he's like, do you mind if I, if I meet with you? He's like, I'd love to be your mentor. And I was like, oh yeah, that would be awesome. You know, at this point, I'm just like, I'm just like, whatever, whatever I need to do, you know? And so he would, he began to meet with me and he walked me through some pretty, um, you know, significant things early on as I was still dealing with the, the remnants and the consequences of my life. Um, and, um, and he prayed with me and, and would work with me. And then, you know, and he, I still talk to him from time to time today, you know, even before we moved down here to Florida, I called him and just said, Hey, this is what's going on. And, you know, what do you think? Would you pray with me? That kind of thing. Uh, he's just kind of always been there, but it was like, God, you know, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know what to do. And it was like, so God sent people, you know, and he specifically sent, um, you know, a, a, a person, one man each, t every time that I could just have a connection with, you know, to be able to talk with. Uh, and that's kind of the way that God has really done a lot of things with me whenever there are seasons in my life where uh, I'm going through it or I'm struggling. Um, he connects me with one one individual, you know, that I can get real with and that I can uh, get close to. And, and he helped me walk through a lot of stuff, man. I was still dealing with that, uh, that pornography addiction, even into Bible college, because it was something I'd never dealt with. And, you know, one of those things that's taboo, you're not allowed to, to have that in your life. Uh, Which is deep. a joke. Yeah. But I mean, we were talking about this the other day. Yeah. Um, you and I, and <clears throat> it is so prevalent. It's unreal. Oh, no one, and yeah. there's few people that are proud of it. No, I think there's some people out there who don't think it's a problem. Yeah. So to speak. Uh, but nobody out there that's completely addicted is proud of that, but nobody wants oh. to talk about it. And so mm -hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's such a, it's such a, cause it's so easy to hide. Yep. And it's so easy for nobody to know you have the problem. It's so yep. easily accessible. Yeah, especially and, now. I mean, everybody has it in the palm of their hand. So, mm -hmm. and it, but, but it just it destroys the mind. Oh my goodness, destroys the mind, destroys relation. It, it is, it is uh, wildly destructive. And yeah. most most of the the women uh, in the pornography industry, it it's, it's all just sex trafficking. People don't yeah. understand that part of it either. And yeah. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more, but I'll, it's, you can't live free from it. You can't yeah. live free from it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. It's it's a process, you know, and it's something that's you got to take seriously. There's no, it's not just that. Well, I'm going to stop, or I'm going to just put a uh, a filter on my phone, or you know, it's just it's some deep work that you got to walk through, and um, and you need some guidance and accountability. Yeah, guidance, accountability, and uh, I mean, I I went, I had to get counseling, the whole thing, um, and um, you know, and that yeah, that's a sad thing. Is it's you know, it's so prevalent. Um, and it's almost worse. It seems like people look at that as almost worse than it's like drug addicts and then, you know, sex addicts or or pornography addicts. And it's just like, which is crazy because a lot of, you know, it's, it's high levels, you know, high in the, in the church. I mean, people using it, I mean, it's all over the place, but it's, it's something also that it comes from inside of you, you know, drugs are all something that, you know, from the outside that you use to manipulate, you know, the, the sexual desires and stuff that we have, it's, it's internal, you know, it's something that's God given in a sense, you know, that, and so it's, it's, a, it's, it's in some ways a deeper level. And even in, in dealing with people in addiction, it's one of those things where, you know, you talk about like in the, the, the counseling psychology world, they talk about comorbidity, about having, you know, multiple things that you're struggling with or, or dealing with. And, um, you know, the prevalence of, of, of more than one issue and, um, you know, even in addiction, the, the struggle is people will come off of drugs, but they'll still have a, a lust issue or, a, 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 you know, pornography issue or whatever the case is, and they don't correlate the two. And it's something that it's, it's they're, they're, they're still addicted, like they're still living in addiction. They've never stopped being an addict. And they think, well, I'm not doing drugs anymore. I'm not doing heroin. So I'm not a heroin addict. It's just like, well, no, you're still, you're still servicing your heroin addiction by your lust, you know, and as soon as you don't have the, the guidance or the accountability around the heroin, you're going to be right back there too, you know? And so it's, it's a major, major need. And it's sad because our, our culture just continues to normalize it. Uh, yeah. and make it like that it is okay. You know, there's just more and more sex everywhere, sex on TV, sex and apps and all that stuff. And it just makes it, it just, it's one of those, it just keeps people bound all the more. So it absolutely does. It, it stuck around in my life for about a year and a half into my recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just hated it. Yeah. I hated it. But, and I would go, I don't know, some days or a week or I would you know, go some time without looking at it, but I always go back to it, but I just kept praying and praying and praying. And I, I was talking with some people about it and praying. And finally one night it was like a supernatural encounter for lack of a better way to say it. And the urge overcame me. And I just was like, I just can't. And I got down on my knees on the end of my bed and I was praying. And as I was praying, it, it felt like somebody was standing over the top of my head with a warm pitcher of oil and they poured it over my head and I could just feel it go down my entire body. That's awesome. And it's never come back. Yeah. That's never awesome, come man. back since then. Um, and, and the interesting thing too about that is that it triggers the exact same thing in the mind and in the chemicals in our body. Yeah. It's the yeah. same thing as drugs. It's the dopamine, yeah. it's the serotonin, it's the exact same thing. Yeah. And so you said it well, if that internal stuff is not dealt with, yeah. We can just say, well, I'm not doing drugs, drinking anymore, which that's a good thing. Okay. Yeah. Like that's a big step in the right direction, but we're still going after the exact same thing with a pornography addiction, not being dealt with because it's doing the exact same thing chemically in our body. Yeah. And we're, we're seeking something else besides God that is still just as, as destructive, if not more 
yeah. destructive in many cases. Yeah. Not only that, I mean, you still continue to, you compartmentalize your life. You have a secret side to yourself. You know, you, you have this constant shame, this constant, um, you know, paranoia, fear, you know, guilt, you, condemnation. Yeah, guilt. yeah, the whole thing. And you gotta, you have to go around, you know, creating, um, um, you know, manipulating circumstances to make sure that you're, your computer's clean or your phone is clean or your nobody sees you going into this store or that store or, you know, all that sort of stuff. And on one hand, you know, I know that society will say, well, that's why we need to normalize it. So people don't get it right of shame, but it's just like, but you can't, you can't give people the drug for the, you know, as part of recovery, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we're not, we're not going to solve the problem by making it more readily available or just simply changing our mind about it. Like, it's the problem. We have to deal with the actual problem, not just, you know, get rid of the feelings surrounding the problem, you know, because then all you're going to do is you're going to have people that have the problem that don't feel bad about it anymore. And then they're going to have no motivation to change it, you know? And, um, so it's, it's craziness. And I, you know, I, I got into drugs and like I said, there's a lot of people that they got in a whole lot worse than me. And I feel like that God saved me from really getting really, really deep with it. But for sure, that side of, of the addiction for me, uh, you know, got really nasty at times. And, and I, I always say it, that that's this, that's the part that kind of took me to the junkie status, you know, at times, because you can, you can be in a, a situation where you're wasting so much time, money. Uh, I mean, you're, you're staying up all night, you know, you're sleeping around with who knows, uh, whoever, you know, uh, wherever it I is, even, I don't want to get into all those stories, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, all, all, all the places that they've been and people, and it's just, um, so yeah, it's a whole side that I'm, I'm grateful. You know, my, my, one of my biggest prayers in life is that that specifically is something that my boys never struggle with, you know, and it's not that I don't take the drug part seriously, but obviously that hits close to home. And it also, I just know, um, like I hear conversations with young kids a lot, you know, being in that world by having young boys, I'm around a lot of you know, young boys from different families, baseball practices, baseball games. And, you know, even at the park, you know, the baseball park and kids are running around playing. Like I hear the way some of them talk and I'm like, dang, that, you know, that, that kid is, and I, you know, you try not to judge, but I'm like, dang, that kid is on his way to, to addiction or to, um, you know, a life of a painful life. You know, you can see it at a very young age. You can see it when, you know, a, a parent is is standing in front of their child who's four, five, six years old playing t-ball, screaming in their face, you know, about something. It's just like, well, hold up a second, you know. Um, and I, I, we saw that one time, little, little kid, one of the youngest kids out there, couldn't have been more than four years old playing t-ball. And I mean, uh, we walked into the park and his mom had him pinned up against a wall right outside the bathroom. And she was bent down, screaming at his face, you know, how could you do that? You're so stupid, like saying these things. And I looked at it and I said, I said, you know, it's really, really hurts right now because that kid's going to end up in our program one day, you know? And I just, my heart breaks wow. for that, you know, because you said that to the mom. No, I said that to my wife. Oh, <laughs> I was, gotcha. I, you know, she, she yelled at the kid and then, you know, she, she snatched him up real quick and took off, you know, somewhere. Um, and, you know, there's part of me, that I, I want to go snatch her up by the, by the neck and take her somewhere and, you know, um, beat some sense into her because 
it's just, it's sad, you know, where our family kids are the greatest resource that we have, you know, even as a nation, there's no greater resource that we have, you know, everybody's complaining about gas prices and gas and all that stuff. Gas doesn't compare our greatest resources are our children are our people in this nation. And we, we do so many things, not just to, uh, to harm, but to, to, to consistently destroy, um, you know, our children, our families on a regular basis. And it almost makes it makes you feel like sometimes like, like there's no hope. Um, but, but for Jesus, you know, because yeah. I know that at the end of the day, um, I, you know, not that my kids ever, my parents ever abused me. Um, you know, I've been, I, you know, went through some, from time to time, you know, there was some scary moments, but you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, he found me. I mean, you know, he found you, um, you know, I know that it can happen, but it's just like, I know that there's so many out there too, that, that, um, you know, that are going to be lost in it. So. Yeah, that's well said, man. That's well said. Kids what's, what's going on with kids is it's, it's outrageous. It's yeah. outrageous, man. And, uh, man is, is, is such a, they're so, um, easily molded at that age yeah. and they're so impressionable and, uh, yeah, I just, I look at my boys, uh, five, four and, and eight months. Yeah. And, and I, and I sometimes will, like, I can't even, um, like I can't even see it in a movie or something like a scene where a kid's getting abused or neglected or so. Like I can't even, yeah. I can't even fathom. So we could probably both sit here and say, we've, you know, maybe become short with our kids at times, you know what I mean? Yeah. To sit here and say, we do it all perfect. That wouldn't be accurate, but at the same time, it's like, man, they are, you said it well, such a prized possession, such a resource. And I hear about um, some of these things that is going on with kids these days and some of the things that parents do. And man, I look at my kids and I'm like, how could anybody Mm -hmm. do that to a five-year-old, a four-year-old, an eight-year-old? I, it's, uh, it's outrageous, man. But (sighs) You know, those, the pattern that is developed in a child, um, unless God intervenes in that pattern, uh, the chances are we'll get passed down to the next generation. Unless they do something to stop that, uh, chances are it unfortunately often gets passed down. Yeah. to the next generation. So when I hear a story like yours or, and I was raised in a good, there was no drugs or alcohol in my home. I wasn't yeah. abused, nothing, man. Yeah. Um, I saw, I, I went and found it all. <laughs> it yeah, found yeah. me, however we want to say it. Yeah, but when yeah. I hear a story like you, man, where you grew up in, in the home you, you did, and uh, now you are stopping that from being passed down to the next generation. I just love it, man. Cause that's, that's what is needed. That is what is yeah. going to be needed to switch things up with the, the next yeah, generation. Coming up, yeah, that, that's one of my biggest whys, you know, of life um, and everything that we do, you know, um, is is changing the narrative. You know, I want more than anything. I mean, I'd love my kids to be successful. You know, every parent wants their kid to be the president one day or, you know, I don't <laughs> No, I, I don't can think of some other big stuff, but not. The yeah. 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 No, not the president. You know what I'm saying though? Like I, I do want know them, what you're I want them to be the next Patrick Mahomes or the next, uh, you know, uh, you know, Steve jobs or something. They got people that are changing the world in their, in their Absolutely. area, in their sphere. Um, but at, at the, but at the same time, like I, I want them to be happy and I want, I want when, 
if somebody were to look at back at our family tree, like I want the moment that I was alive and raising my boys to be the time where they're able to look back and say, that's where everything changed. You know, mm-hmm. that's like, I'm not perfect. And I've, you know, I, I just entered this last year into my, my, you know, I'm, I'm 40 headed into a new decade. Um, and I, how is it, man? Well, I turn 40 next month. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not as bad. Same it's, as 39. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it's a different, different, different mental battle for sure. Because you start to, uh, you know, you, you just start to think about life differently. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, and I've in many ways, I've not done very good, you know, the first those first few decades, like there's been some really bad things. But at the end of the day, um, the over the overall story, you know, is going to be one of, of redemption. And it's kind of like a Moses calling. That's the way I've described. I think people that are willing to shoulder some of the uh, the weight of it and and, you know, God will give a Moses calling of kind of delivering your, your people, you know, delivering your line. And you may not enter into quote unquote, the promised land of, of seeing all of the fruit of that, but you're, you're, you're putting your, 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 your kids and your, your, your generations coming on an, on a new trajectory, you know, in a, in a new path. And, and that's one of my biggest whys, you know, of everything. I mean, I love God's given the ability to lead worship and um, you know, to lead, you know, team challenge to do lots of cool different things. And, and I like doing those things and being able to be satisfied, but the greatest satisfaction for me is, uh, is, is just seeing that new life, you know, being burst and, and born. And so, um, yeah, well man, it's what keeps me going every day. So, yeah, man, it's well said, it's well yeah. said, uh, pouring into, to other people and, uh, the next generation it's, uh, if there's ever been a time where it is needed, yeah. uh, there's been many times. Anyone that knows history is like things have been bad before. Yeah. Nothing we're facing is brand new. Anyone that's actually ever studied real history, but right. uh, there's some things that definitely need to be addressed right now. And some people that need to step up if we're going to change the trajectory, like you said, on it, man. That yeah. is that is for sure. Well, for for sake of time, man, um, you did end up. Uh, working at Teen Challenge, you've yeah. been there for 15 years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I first started in 06, basically. I mean, there's been a couple short things 16, here and there, but yeah, it's years, been yeah. yeah, 16 years since I started. So, what what does an average day look like for Will? An average quote, day. air quotes the legend <laughs> the kitchen. legend. Yeah. What is an average day? I just kind of float like. above the rest of the earth and look down. <laughs> Levitate in and get some coffee, you know. Yeah. I just switched to tea recently, so. Uh, Why? I'm Why? Off, Why off would you do that to yourself? I got, I have my reasons, but um, yeah, man, I, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I don't, my, my position here is, is probably a lot different, you know, um, but um uh, you know, my, my position here is focused a lot on the community and, and raising funds and uh, doing events and mentoring the staff and, and all of that sort of stuff. And so uh, I pour a lot into, into that, you know, our trainings, um, trying to be sit down with my team, you know, make sure everybody's good um, and really focus on them because, uh, you know, we can have up to, you know, we generally have around 40 individuals in our program between men and women, 40 to 50. And, uh, I can't, 
make an impact as an individual in all their lives. But the more that I impact, you know, the, the 15 to 20 staff that I have, staff and interns, uh, the better that we are able to do to take care of them. And so um, that's a big part of my focus is, uh, is connecting with the community, you know, raising support, but then, um, you know, trying to make this a place that people want to be, you know, people want to work, they want to grow here. Um, uh, and, uh, they want to, you know, continue to pursue the Lord here and help other people, you know? So I know that doesn't get into a lot of specifics, but specifics are boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this, man, after, uh, knowing you and being over there a little bit, man, there's a, there's definitely a culture in place that is, uh, raising up people and seeing people's lives transform. The fruit is there. Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's powerful. Thanks. Appreciate yeah, that, bro. It's powerful. Yeah. Well, I we're appreciate to, you. Yeah, we're gonna have to do it again sometime, man. Yeah, I know. Like we're, we're gonna have we, to this, figure this out some time, other topics time, for us to share flew. our brilliance on. <laughs> yeah, I think we'd probably have no problem talking. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we could go for another hour, man. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you being vulnerable and coming on and sharing it, man. Sure. Uh, sometimes people who step into some measure of success, which I guess any bit of success for you and I is mm. major success from where we came from. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they don't, they don't really want to get into what went on in their past. Uh, yeah. People do. And some people are pretty open about it, but others don't really want to. And, and I understand both sides. I, I, I really do wherever somebody's yeah. at with it. But I think the more that leaders can share about their struggles and how they got, to where they are. I think it's really, really powerful because I know early on for me, I would see people, uh, I would, you know, whether it's a book I was reading of a business leader or a leader in the faith or an athlete or whatever, we just see the finished product. We just see the highlight reel. Yeah. That's all we see. And, but if you get into the story and the journey of what got them there, you realize, you know, there was many challenges. Yeah. They didn't do it right a bunch of times. They learned by doing it and failing and learning and doing, yeah. and they, they had their bumps and their bruises. And I think it's really encouraging <clears throat> for people when they listen and realize, oh, that's what they went through to get there. Yeah. I can, well, maybe sometimes they hear, oh, that's what they went through to get there. No, I've, never mind. I don't want to do that. No, I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they hear, for sure. oh, they, that's what they had to go through to get there. Like, man, I could do it. If he could do it, I could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, I mean, I don't know if it's, if it's encouraging or, or confusing, but I mean, in many ways, I feel like in, in 16 years, uh, you know, coming here, like I'm just finally starting to discover myself and lead well for the first time in my life, you know, and it's not that God is not able to use you, you know, during some of those formative years or when you're learning or, um, but I, I don't think, you know, I truly knew myself as a leader, you know, what I was really good at and what I, what I could really bring to the table, strengths and weaknesses, you know? Um, and so it's, it's kind of being here, like, this has just been a really good season, man. And, um, awesome. you know, it, it's really makes heading into this new decade, uh, a lot more exciting, you know, with all the stuff that we face. Um, I'm like, man, it's, it's better than the last one. You know, each each year, each decade, 
better than the last one. You know, that's the goal. And, um, you know, we'll get there. But, um, yeah, bro. I think you are there. I think you are getting there, man. I yeah. I think it's happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think uh, so. Steve Jobs, he said, if, if you work hard enough for 10 years, you too can be an overnight success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah. All of a sudden yeah. it happens and everyone's like, oh, man, you're doing a good job. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sit down and listen. Yeah. Tell you some stories. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it only took me, uh, you know, 15 years or whatever, 14, I guess, when I got here or something to to finally get to a place where I feel like I I'm, I can do my job well. <laughs> so, but you learn by doing. That's yeah. how you learn. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But look, man, I appreciate you. Uh, coming on, like I said, and anyone was interested in, in contacting you for, for whatever reason, how would they do that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm on social media. Uh, look me up. Uh, I don't remember what my, my, uh, my, my address is, but yeah, I mean, if you look up William kitchen, I mean, we're friends on Facebook and find me, um, you know, teen challenge here at Fort Myers. Uh, we, uh, you know, Two three nine two seven five nineteen seventy four. You know, or even if you wanted to get help, you know, needed to get somebody in, had questions about the program, reach out to us. We'd love to talk with you. Uh, you can go. Our website is uh, teenchallenge.cc, um, and then there's a, a place where you can um, find locations and stuff, and you can find the the Fort Myers Men's Center or Women's Center. And uh, but yeah, man, we're we would love to talk and interact with anybody, or if anybody had any any personal questions. For me, you could even email me, uh, willswfl at gmail.com, willswfl, like Will Southwest Florida, uh, at gmail.com, and I'd love to connect. That's awesome, man. Yep. You're flooded with people that have questions for you now. Okay, bring it on. <laughs> I love, qu- I love questions. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, man, a- so. enjoy the rest of your day, sir. All right, and, Yes, yeah, good. We, we'll have to we'll have to figure out we'll have to figure out a time to get you back on to chop it up about some other stuff. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. All right, and thank you guys again for joining us on another episode here of the Recovering Reality Podcast. Thanks for joining us on the Recovering Reality Podcast. If you're looking for more recovery resources to help you in your journey, you can access our YouTube channel, a free ebook, our podcast and blogs through recoveringreality.com. You can also connect with us about recovery coaching, sober companionship, or interventions. And if you're looking for treatment for you or a loved one, you can reach out to a very well-respected treatment center called Banyan Treatment Centers at 866-942-8154.